Ty Warner literally showing up, doing a strip tease in the corner and being like, Juliet, do you recognize me now? <laughs> what about now? <laughs> Not sure I'm having a memory. Maybe you should, like, take your pants off. we read this week where we talk about the books that we hate to love and love to hate i'm caitlin and i'm savannah otherwise known as an unassuming skywalker this week which is probably the strangest name that Squadcast has assigned to me but we're gonna go with it and welcome back to our podcast disclaimer so no one sues us we don't hate books and we don't hate authors we actually really love both of them so we buy a hard copy of the book every week and this week it was actually a hardback so that's the extent of our love is that we actually could not wait for the paperback to come out and paid 27 dollars for this finale (laughs) um but yes we encourage you to do the same if you financially can and we will just be making fun of some problematic tropes, some weird characters, and I'd whatever the fuck is going on in this book. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> Tell us about our release schedule, Caitlin, before we get into things. Um, on the 4th of February, we have The Notebook, and on the 18th of February, we have The Sirens by Kira Cass. Housekeeping? Do you have any housekeeping? Nope. The only thing I have to say is that My teammates and I have been watching, we made our way through Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender on Netflix, and now we're watching The Legend of Korra. We're about four episodes in, and uh, one of my teammates makes the comment, she's like, yeah, the first little bit, like, honestly, the first uh, season of this show is kind of like YA novel (laughs) romance-y, and was 100% correct, and I enjoyed it. I really need to go back and, like, revisit that, because I loved that show when I was younger. Yep. Uh, well, cool, cool, cool. What are you drinking? Fancy coffee. What are you drinking? Nice. Um, also coffee, not the the cursed concoction that we come up with later in this book, which is whiskey mixed with tea. (laughs) Yummy. God. Um, yeah, just normal, normal coffee. This is a sequel episode, so if you have not listened to our prior five episodes on the Shatter Me series, we will leave (laughs) those episode numbers down in the description below. Um, They are, they're a ride. There's a lot happening. There's a lot going on. Um, I would recommend going back and listening to those. That we've done so far. I, this (laughs) is the only book I've enjoyed out of the series. I can honestly say that. This um, is my, like, House of Night for Caitlin is what this series is to me. Okay, so, summary. Fingers tremble. Flowers die. The sun flinches. The stars expire. You are in a room, a closet, a vault, no key. Just a single voice that says, kill me. Oh, dear. <laughs> Juliet Ferrars, Ella Somers, which is the truth and which is the lie. Now that Ella knows who Juliet is and what she was created for, things have only become more complicated. As she struggles to understand the past that haunts her and looks to a future more uncertain than ever, the lines between right and wrong, between Ella and Juliet, blur. And with old enemies looming, her destiny may not be in her own control. Uh, the day of reckoning for the reestablishment is coming, but she may not get to choose which side she fights on look wow (laughs) i have a lot of things to say about this book and that's all i'm gonna say for now because i'm gonna rant about it for the next hour and a half (laughs) great excellent i am so excited before we even get into any content i want to start with a list that i made on the title page that i just called things that will make me very upset if they happen in this book and there were three things (laughs) (laughs) love this i love this already yeah the first thing was if emmeline if if ella's slash juliet's sister lives and they somehow manage to like redeem her bring her back to life she goes to live with them and has a happy ending that's gonna piss me off like she's a fish girl she's living in a tank that's not gonna happen uh second thing was if the fun language didn't come back because it was kind of missing last book and it made me sad oh it was was completely gone last it was gone 
the third one was a bit ambiguous because I was like, if they try and kill Anderson again and he lives again and everyone is shocked again, I'm going to be very upset. But also, on the other side of that, if, <laughs> <laughs> like, if they don't kill Anderson and he just, he just lives throughout the entire, and he becomes a redeemed character, that will also piss me off. So, Really, I just, I didn't know what to do with Anderson. Anything that happens to him, I'll be upset about. Well, then you were very disappointed, weren't you? Because things <laughs> did happen. I was actually really happy with the way, as I was reading, I was like, this is terrible for plot points, but great for podcasting. <laughs> so to not keep you in suspense, starting on the first page, in the dead of night, I hear birds. I hear them. I see them. I close my eyes and feel them. Feathers shuddering in the air, bending the wind. Wings grazing my shoulders when they ascend, when they alight. Discordant shrieks ring and echo, ring and echo. How many? Hundreds. And I was like, excellent. Tahara Mafi is back. <laughs> the birds are back. Yeah. <laughs> I just really feel like we had a good full circle moment, given that we started this book with birds. It just felt right. This book is the book that started Birdophilia. <laughs> no, 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 no. House of yes. Night is the book that started Birdophilia. Okay, like, in a timeline-wise, yes. In the timeline of books that we read that started with, where we were like, oh. is this Birdophilia? This book started it on the podcast. Yes. Now, House of Night has actual bird fucking, so <laughs> they probably win the prize there. We really escalated uh, <laughs> once we jumped to the House of Night. But uh, speaking of birds, we keep doing the really fun, unnecessary thing of doing all of these flashbacks of Ella slash Juliet remembering her past life. So you have this memory of her and her shitty mom interacting together and her mom saying, the sulfur-crested cockatoo mates for life, just like me and your father. <laughs> and then a line break. Your parents would <laughs> never. Sulfur-crested cockatoo. What? I've had enough of them to last me a lifetime. I don't need any more background information because, quite frankly, it never seems to clear anything up. Like, maybe we should focus on the present and, and worry about that right now because I don't know what's going on. We find out kind of... I mean, we don't find out. I'm assuming I'm making a lot of assumptions because the first few chapters are very confusing. We kind of find out that this these memories are coming from her sister, Emmeline, who is trying to take over her brain. We don't really know at this point. Apparently, these flashbacks are very painful for Ella slash Juliet, and she briefly starts having these flashes of her sister and says... <laughs> Uh, talking about her parents, Evie made it so that only she or Max could control Emmeline's powers, and with Evie dead, the failsafes implemented were suddenly weakened. Emmeline realized that in the wake of our mother's death, there would be a brief window of opportunity, a brief window during which she might be able to wrest back control of her own mind before Max remade the algorithms. What? Like, Imprisoned <laughs> by math has been, like, my whole college career, but also super tickled by the, like, quick, she's dead, take control of the math, Emmeline. <laughs> Science. <laughs> well, okay, and also, can we back up for a moment? I don't remember at all what Emmeline's purpose is. What is her significance again? No, it, it's like... She So she was created to have all of the mind control powers to be able to mind control the world. We don't really know why Juliet's there, we find out later in this book, but uh, Emmeline's purpose was just to mind control everyone to make them think there were no birds and no vegetation and the world was dead so oh, that that's her right. parents could take over. So... I'm just I'm just tickled by the fact that like last book was the I'm gonna inject you with all the things because injecting is science and then this book is the we're gonna trap her with math because the algorithms capital A. The other really fun change that comes in this book is the only two perspectives that we get is Juliet and Kenji, not Juliet and Warner. All of his viewpoints are equally as confusing as Juliet's are, and like for example. On his perspective, we open up with 
Nazira and I had been out of bed for a while, racing through the dark in an attempt at murdering one another. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I need a like just a touch more context of what's going on because we go from you were in bed with each other, you're trying to murder one another. What the fuck is going on? It never that answer never gets cleared up. We don't ever find out why they were trying to murder each other. No, it's just a funny funny coincidence and so super as, cute <laughs> as they're running through the woods having this feral murder date they come across juliet and warner buried in the dirt screaming and there's like blood everywhere for some reason because every time something traumatic happens someone just randomly starts bleeding from some limb and we started the book with juliet and warner in bed i went back and read this so many times so many times they're they're sitting there and Juliet's like there's like pillows behind my head and I'm like in bed with Warner and I'm having these flashbacks and all this stuff is happening and then flip the page Kenji's like they're screaming and Juliet's having flashbacks and they're buried in the dirt <laughs> and they're outside the sanctuary and I'm like how did how did they get there why are they did they sleepwalk like who did the blocking in these scenes? The sky is ripping apart. The ground is fracturing beneath my feet. The sun flickers, strobing darkness, strobing light, everything's tilted, and the clouds, there's something newly wrong with the clouds. They're disintegrating. Trees can't decide whether to stand up or lie down. Gusts of wind shoot up from the ground with terrifying power, and suddenly the sky is full of birds. Full of fucking birds. Emmeline is out of control. What is going on? This is the beginning of all of the horror tropes. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we're in the middle of the birds. We're in a Hitchcock film. It, it, but then it just continues to get fucking weirder. So Kenji is just watching Warner holding on to Juliet, trying to like basically keep her inside of herself. I don't know. And Juliet is like laying on the ground screaming and then Kenji tries to get closer to her when suddenly slithering terrifying horror moves through my body as I understand. Emmeline was in my head. She wanted to see if she could get me to kill myself. And even as I think it, even as I look down in the miserable attempt, attempt I made to bury myself alive, I feel a dull stabbing sympathy for Emmeline because I feel her pain and it wasn't cruel. It was desperate. I just have so many questions because you're getting the impression from the beginning of the book that Emmeline is, like, no longer a part of her webbed little mermaid body. Like, you get the impression that she is just a a thing that basically can, like, possess another human being, which is supposedly what she's doing to Juliet and then what she's kind of trying to do to Kenji. But I still don't understand what's going it's on. The algorithms, Caitlin. <sighs> The algorithm. So anyways, uh, Emmeline is just single-handedly going to get everyone to commit suicide oh, is, we're... is what's going to happen. And when she can't, she just makes Juliet start screaming. We're yeah. 47 pages in, and Kenji's like, what do we do? And Warner looks at him, and Kenji says, he just looks at me, and the tortured expression in his eyes tells me everything I need to know. Jay can't keep screaming like this. She can't just be there on her knees screaming for a century. This shit is going to kill her. Like, <laughs> we're in, like, chapter five, and someone is screaming themselves to death. But, alas, somehow she ends up stop. Like, they somehow get her to stop screaming. She's completely weak. She can't hold herself up, and she's, like, passed out. And... Kenji and Warner are, you know, carrying her out, so they've got her arms around their their shoulders, and we're dragging Jay like she's Jesus between <laughs> us. The best part of this whole initial crisis, because that's what this is, is when Noria, Castle's daughter, who they've been staying with, comes out to talk to them, and she's like, listen, I get that you're all concerned, I get that you're worried, but we're safe in the sanctuary borders. Like, Nazira explains that's what the tents are for. We have tents with like solar panels on them and shit. And so Noria controls the light and it protects us from Emmeline. Wasn't that where y'all just were, bro? Like, where did you go that well, all of a sudden you weren't yeah. protected? Like, she's like, we're protected from Emmeline. I'm like, you were literally just here and she tried to make Juliet scream herself to death and then bury herself alive. I don't, I wouldn't consider that a safe place, but that's just me. Um, cue horror trope two. Uh, 
body horror. Kenji shows up and Julia it, to check on Julia in the infirmary, and he's like, her lips are blue and her skin is blue. And in the last couple of hours, she lost weight. <laughs> like two hours ago, she looked normal and now she's like skeletal. <laughs> what happened? What? Uh, screaming, screaming and burying yourself alive is like the, all the rage. It's all the new workout rage. Yeah, it's the best diet. <laughs> it really is. I, I'm actually doing my exercises right after this. Warner's taking this real hard. He is not having a good time. His fiance, who he is engaged <laughs> to, is in the infirmary. This is and my favorite. He has lost all will to be even mildly decent or polite to anybody. And so he's like, Juliet's not here to watch. I'm going to murder some bitches. And <laughs> everyone is fucking terrified of him. Kenji says, the problem is we all got too comfortable. For a couple of months, we forgot that Warner was scary. <laughs> he smiled like four and a half times, and we decided to forget that he was basically a psychopath with a long history of ruthless murder. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Good summary, Kenji. <laughs> Remember the second book when Adam was like, this guy tried to hang me on a meat hook and murder me, and everyone was like, shh, shh, shh. He's had character Adam, development, <laughs> Adam. <laughs> Okay, but this is what bothers me about Warner suddenly turning evil is because do I feel like it was justifiable and good character growth? No, not at all. But at the same time, like, he was no longer that person. So why? So basically, you were telling me that the only reason Warner is even <laughs> willing to consider being a decent person is because of Juliet. And the second that she is out of the picture, he turns into like this crazed, murdering machine and i just can't get over it more on it's that like, later it's like they tell you that you should look for how your partners treat like waiters and customer service representatives oh, when you're yeah. dating them but the reality is how are they treating them when you're not around are they murdering them and hiding their bodies in a ditch because that is a red flag my friend juliet's had this massive breakdown she wakes up Everyone is overjoyed. Warner stops being a psychopath a little bit. He's like still, he's still kind of crazy. He's a little less crazy. But they're all worried that Juliet has Emmeline in her head still because they've figured out that's what she's trying to do is take over Juliet. <laughs> Noria's kind of interrogating her and she's like, she's like, what did you do? What happened out there? Juliet's like, I have no idea. And she's like, well, then guess, unless she's not still in your head, is she? What? No. Like, that's exactly what a mind-controlled robot would say, you traitor. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we'll just have to take your word for it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> she's like, no, my evil sister isn't still in my head trying to make me kill everyone. And they're like, okay, good, cool, just checking. Sorry, didn't mean to offend you. And while everyone is concerned that Emmeline is still in Juliet's head, we then get... Kenji, who is apparently going to become an Emmeline apologist, because when Emmeline was in my head, it felt more like a desperate last-ditch effort. Like, she was worried Jay wouldn't have the heart to kill her, and she was hoping I'd get it done faster. She called me brave, but weak. <laughs> I know she did this really fucked up thing, but, like, she's clearly going through a lot, you know? At this point, we also get some backstory of something that was kind of uh, hinted at in the previous book. So Noria is done with all of the shit from these teenagers. She's like, listen, we just need to figure out where Emmeline is and kill her. We just need to find her and kill her. Kenji's getting really upset because he's like, we are not waiting for her to possess Juliet again and then killing Juliet. That's not, that's not what we're going to do here. And Noria's like, mm, if the shoe fits. And then all of a sudden her partner, Sam, shows up. <laughs> Sam is like, Noria, what the fuck are you doing? And Noria's like, oh, you know, just like chatting about killing some teenagers. And Sam's like, I'm your, <laughs> Sam's basically like, I'm your partner. We're gay. This is our sanctuary, our life. We built it together. Remember, you can't just murder our hetero friends, Noria. This is really the only characterization we get of both of them is that Noria wants to murder everyone. And Sam is like, Noria, let's rein it in a bit. We can't just kill everyone. And she's like, fine, because I love you. I won't. Also, they're gay. Uh-huh. That's the other character thing we get we we get about them. Yes. They're very gay and no uh, one cares. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's uh 
I lied. I spoke too soon. We actually do get one other piece of information about Sam in particular, and that is that Sam has the ability to see across long distances. That is how it is described. That's the only information we get. However, with that ability to see across long distances, she's able to see Anderson in his own sector. So, like, she... It's not only that she can see that far, it's that she can, like, literally see through solid objects at any point in time. So, like, literally she could see anything in the world. This bitch can just see through walls and shit? Like, what? What is going on? What kind yeah, of a, we'll, what kind of an ability is this? We'll come back to why that doesn't make sense plot-wise later, but I just think it's funny that both of their powers are convenient. When they're convenient for the plot, they show up, and when they're not, they just disappear. So they're like, Noria can do whatever yes. the fuck she wants with light. And yep. that's never really explained. And they're like, Sam can see whatever the fuck she wants, and that's never really explained. One of the biggest problems that I had with this book is that it never slowed down you never got quiet moments to just breathe everyone was always exploding or bleeding or screaming or crying or murdering someone but (laughs) you kind of get desensitized to all of the violence but i will say the quiet moments that we do get are focused on brendan and winston who are apparently in love and Winston thinks that he's too old for Brendan, but I did some digging and I researched their ages on the Wikipedia page, and apparently Winston is between 20 and 30, and Brendan is canonically 24. So, like, what is that even supposed to be? Like, yeah, that even, doesn't seem that crazy. Even if he's 30 and, and Brendan's 24, like... That age like, difference is not I that don't big understand. of a deal. It's not weird. Anyway. So, Brendan's characteristic is that he's British, and... He starts making tea for everyone every night, and he's like, I don't care if you lot think it's weird. I've little left of England, save this. <laughs> so Brendan restores the lost art of tea, which only the British can make. And everyone's like, oh, What is this leaf water? Murder, 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 tea. Murder, murder, murder. <laughs> Attempted suicide. So. They're having this conversation while, you know, over tea, and suddenly someone asks the question that has been burning on all of our minds, and Brendan says, wait, is it Juliet or Ella? Was there ever a consensus? Uh, And Kenji says, I'm calling her Juliet, but I thought she wanted to be called Ella, Winston says. She's (laughs) in a fucking coma, Ian says. She doesn't care what you call her. (laughs) And then we find out that Ian has a a grudge against Juliet because when she first showed up at the point, I tried reaching out to her to offer her my friendship and she never followed up. (laughs) And even after we were taken hostage by Anderson, she took her sweet time trying to get information out of Warner. She never gave a shit about the rest of us and all we've ever done is put everything on the line to protect her. Ian's really out here like fuck Juliet because she hurt my feelings that one time. Like he done been friend zone. <laughs> tea time is a thing that that happens pretty regularly. So next time Kenji shows up to tea time, Winston is strangely insistent that he drink his tea. And mind you, Kenji's pretty high strung for this whole book. He's got a little bit of anxiety going on. He's trying to shove it down. And as he keeps drinking, he's like. It tasted a little bit strange this time, like a little familiar, but a little strange. At one point, Winston just pops out with, on an unrelated note, how does your head feel? Kenji frowns, gingerly touching my finger, er, gingerly touching his fingers to his skull. What do you mean? I mean, Winston says, that this is probably a good time to tell you I've been pouring whiskey in your tea all night. Are you trying to tell me that this motherfucker was drinking slightly watered down herbal whiskey and didn't notice. He was just like, yeah, this tastes like tea. This is normal. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. He's like, this like, tastes like shit and it burns on the way down, but it's fine. He's like, oh, yeah, this is just like the tea that my father used to make for me before I became an orphan. <laughs> I guess just to, like, put into context, like, what we're dealing with here as far as getting information... 
Kenji sees Nazira as they're drinking their tea, and he says, I don't even know why I'm hiding from Nazira. There's nothing scary about her, not exactly. Nothing more scary than the fact that we haven't really discussed the last emotional conversation we had shortly after she kicked me in the back and I nearly murdered her for it. She told me I was her first kiss, and then the sky melted and Juliet was possessed by her sister and the romantic moment was forever interrupted. (laughs) I... I just, like, Tahara, you have to give us just a little bit more information, you know? Like, you can't just, you can't just spring this shit on us. So, they're all sitting in Juliet's room. She's awake after being in her, like, weird coma, whatever the fuck. And suddenly someone bursts into the room and says, They're here. They found us. They're here. Jenna is dead. And I'm like, who the fuck is Jenna? (laughs) Same. <laughs> to be completely frank with you, I have no idea what the fuck is going on right now. Like, Juliet wakes up from her coma. They're standing in her room. Apparently the reestablishment is here. They have to get out. Jenna is dead. We apparently care. I don't know. Also, also, I would like to point out, Sam's whole power is that she can see over long distances. So she warns them, <laughs> hey, the reestablishment is preparing to come and find us. They know where Ella slash Juliet is, and they'll probably be here within, like, three days. And everyone's like, huh, good to know. Thanks, Sam. That's chill. And then they don't do anything. So by the time the reestablishment shows up, everyone's like, oh, gasp, the reestablishment? Like, what do you mean you're surprised? Sam has literally been keeping an eye on these people. She could tell you every day how far away they are. How did they sneak up on you? And also, why were you not preparing when she said they're going to be here in three days? They're like, oh my god, we got to evacuate everyone. Like, why were you not doing that three days ago? Why is Sam not paying closer attention? Why is she not like, hey guys, they're literally like walking onto our land right now. Like, we got to figure our shit. Why is she not preparing everyone? Sam's in the corner drinking her whiskey she's really just tea, like, and they're like, Sam, Sam, yeah. where are they? And she's like, I don't know. They're like somewhere between like a day and like 10 seconds from breaking down the door at a K. I don't know, Fran. Oh, and of course, leading the reestablishment is Anderson. Of course, a single gunshot explodes his throat and we're to part 27 of trying to kill Anderson. I don't think in this event anybody thinks he's actually dead. Because they're all kind of staring at him and, like, waiting for him to get back up again. (laughs) Okay, so, when I first read this little blurb, I just started hysterically laughing because Savannah pointed out horror tropes earlier on. This was the first moment I realized I was reading a fake horror novel. (laughs) Because somehow Warner gets hold of a samurai sword and he drops to a knee and swings up with the machete in a sudden perfect arc gutting the man like a fish warner turns another strong swing slicing through the guy on his left disconnecting the dude's spine in a move so horrific i have to look away in the second it takes me to turn back i'm sorry oh in the second it takes me to turn back another guard is already charged forward warner pivots sharply shoving the blade directly up the guy's throat and into his open screaming mouth with the final tug warner pulls the blade free and the man falls to the ground with a single soft thud this is a fucking tarantino movie (laughs) in the worst way possible i what in God's name is going on? Slasher boy. <laughs> and then the final, the fighting like is on pause for a second and Warner and Anderson are having a conversation and Anderson is like, give us Juliet and we will promise that we will not kill you today. You know, like we're going to leave most of you alive if you just give us Juliet. And Warner's bride idea is to offer himself up in Juliet's place because essentially they're trying to find another body to put Emily Emmeline's like spirit into so that they can still mind control the world but <laughs> Emmeline's dying so they need someone else to take it over so <laughs> he's like I volunteer as tribute but at the same time Anderson does not give a flying fuck about Warner so where where did he think that this was going to be a good idea 
I love how he's like, give me your word you won't hurt everyone and I'll come with you. And I was like, bitch, Anderson would be like, yeah, sure, come with me. I won't hurt anyone. And then just like shoot everyone. I don't know why you're taking this man at his word. He's done nothing but lie and try and kill you. Killing Anderson part 52. Warner. (laughs) I catch a mottled glimpse. Warner standing over Anderson's body, his right hand clenched around the handle of a machete. Where the fuck did he get a machete? That he's buried in his father's chest. He plants his right foot on his father's gut and roughly pulls out the blade. At this point, I think they might actually think that he's dead. And I was like, you idiots. But we move right along. Well, Um, and also, okay, here's my, here's my thought, right? Because if you have a man who can heal himself in no matter how much damage he's taken, whatever, my instinct is chop up the body so that he can't just, and like move the pieces, you know, like just fucking chop off your father's head. Right. Like, why are we still being like- You have a fucking machete. Shooting, stabbing. It's like, listen, we need, obviously, this is a Dracula situation. Chop him into parts burn the parts, scatter them, stake his heart, like, do what you gotta do. Right. Right. Let's dismember a body, sure, I'll go along for that, right? At this point, at least Anderson will be gone. So, the the third thing that I I hated has come to pass, and it's not over yet. Um, Meanwhile, Juliet wakes Mm -hmm. up. Juliet is awake. Uh, She has been kidnapped, and in a really weird like i get sci-fi horror vibes she's like in a cage the shape of her body like naked and it's weird it's super weird i have weird feelings about it yep and yep (laughs) as she's coming into herself she realizes that emmeline is still in her mind and she's like you know what somehow i understand that the brutality of her act was nothing more than a desperate plea for companionship in the last days of her life she wants to die knowing she was loved maybe the mental torture from my sister was really just a friend that we made (laughs) along the way in the middle of juliet waking up to her torture by anderson like he it's stabbing her with a scalpel and she's screaming and oh i'm in so much pain but like didn't she at one point have indestructible skin yes yes also she can project her powers she learned how to project them why isn't she just electrocuting him and fucking getting out of there like the whole premise of these books was that she could not be touched because her skin was dangerous to other people. And then we've added indestructible skin and I can project my powers along the way. But, like, she has done none of that. She's just been almost murdered multiple times and stabbed. Well, and I'm I'm sitting here like, okay, we don't even know how she got kidnapped. Like, we don't even know how she ended up in Anderson's captivity. So we jump back to Kenji's perspective, and I'm like, great, all will be explained. And literally, the explanation that we get is, we lost Jay. We're not even sure exactly how it happened. (laughs) I'm so tired of these cop-out scenes that are like, this thing happened. I'm not going to tell you how, why, what, when, any of those details about the thing that happened. But it happened, and you just need to accept that. Is there an importance to the thing that happened? I don't know, because you don't know any context. Juliet wakes up. She, like, passes out after getting stabbed with a scalpel, as, you know, most people would do. She wakes up, and she is a completely different person. And you can tell because she grabs hold of a butterfly and, like, pinches its wings between her fingers. And I wait patiently for the creature to die, but it only beats its wings harder, resisting the inevitable. Irritated, I close my fingers, crushing it in my fist. I wipe its remains against an overgrown stalk of wheat and soldier on. You can tell she's evil because Followed by the line, it's the 5th of May. I crush the life out of this struggling creature and then I wipe its remains on my clothing. It's the 5th of May. (laughs) Furthermore, this gets more troublesome because then we get to... She's clearly, like, brainwashed and she's, like, not her normal self. And she gets summoned by Anderson and... (laughs) <laughs> they're having this conversation about she how she's basically like his personal soldier or whatever and he says 
You understand that you belong to me now. Yes, sir. My rule is your law. You will obey no other. Yes, sir. He steps forward. His irises are so blue, a lock of dark hair curves across his eyes. I am your master, he says. Yes, sir. He's so close that I can feel his breath against my skin. Coffee and mint and something else. Something subtle, fermented alcohol, I realize. He steps back. Get on your knees. Tell me that I am your master. You are my master, I say. His stiff smile bends, curves, joy catches fire in his eyes. Good, he says very softly. Very good. How strange that you might turn out to be my favorite yet. (laughs) Constant threat of sexual assault is a horror trope. But later on in the book, Anderson is having a conversation with Juliet's father, and he is like, this really disturbing thing is happening where she is starting to, like, be attracted to me, and I don't really know what to do with that. Like, I want you to make it stop. And her father is, like, laughing and, like, like, why why is it such a big deal, whatever, and Anderson is like, she's too young for me, and Max is like, you know she's been 18 for four mm. months, right? <laughs> um, that's your child? And also, like, th- her being 18 for four months does not make this more or less okay, actually. It really doesn't. Everyone knows what's weird about the sexual tension that goes on for almost the rest of the book. Everyone knows it's weird, and we don't need to talk about it anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't I don't want to talk about it anymore because Mm-mm. it uh made me very uncomfy. Yep, uncomfy. Uh Tahara Moffy knew exactly what she was doing and that's all. Oh yeah. That's all. Warner is constantly talking about how he wants to murder everyone. All of the conversations that he has with Kenji is Kenji trying to like get him to come out of like his funk. Like because when Julia is gone, when she gets kidnapped, Warner doesn't shower for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. He's just covered in dried blood quarantine mood and kenji is like trying to relate to him and talk to him and warner is like every single time that you bring up what's going on i just want to disembowel you my favorite of these attempts from kenji is when he is trying to get warner to eat and he's like come on bro you want jay to come home to skin and bones the way you're going she'll take one look at you and run screaming in the opposite direction this is not a good look all these muscles need to eat i poke at his bicep feed your children (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even notice that i'm gonna start using that (laughs) we hop back to juliet's perspective anderson is constantly testing her loyalty because he he's almost like this is too good to be true that she is this faithful to me considering how much we hated each other like i don't know three days ago he asks her to like uh murder someone and he asks her to do x y and z just like trying to see oh he asks her if she would launch herself out of a window and she was like yeah sure whatever whatever that's fine my life doesn't mean that much to me then he's like i want you to cut off your finger to show that you are loyal to me and she does it very graphic cutting off a finger scene (laughs) so then we hop back to the base check in with our pal kenji and his I swear to God, if this is going to turn into an office reference, I'm going to I'm going to leave the chat. I'm going to leave the chat room. I'm going to stop recording and I'm going to leave. leave the chat room. Kenji, they're they're talking and Castle says something like they're all talking about what a shithead Anderson is. After, mind you, he has murdered seventy five to eighty percent of all of the side characters. It's like side character culling number two, and uh, in this recent war that he's had, and then kidnapped Juliet. They're talking about how shitty he is, and Castle says, I think if Anderson were truly remorseful, that he too could make a change. Yes, I do believe that. And Kenji's like, wait, 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 hold up. So, like, in a hypothetical situation, if Anderson came to the point asking for amnesty, claiming to be a changed man, you would. And Castle's like, Kenji, I dedicated my life to giving second and third chances to those who'd been cast out by the world. You'd be stunned if you knew how many people's lives were derailed by a simple mistake that snowballed. <laughs> Do you know how funny this scene is in, in, in conjunction with Anderson being like, hey, Juliet, cut your finger off. Like, 
Castle being like, if he showed up and was like, I changed, like, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd let him in. I, I'd let Anderson in. Yeah. Kenji looks at the camera like he's on the office. <laughs> I just, like, I need this to is know why how many times. failed. This is why he should not be in control yes. of anything. Remember last time when he did the same thing with Warner and he was like, yeah, Warner, sure, yes. come in. And then Warner betrayed them all. Furthermore, Castle says this really fucking concerning shit, and then his daughter follows it up with, Hey, Dad, we'd really like it if you became an official advisor here on our compound. We really think that you should keep giving us advice because you seem like you have all of the good ideas. Only a fucking stupid ass person would give Castle a position of power. Have we not learned from what happened at Omega Point? He literally led them all to slaughter. Exactly. Like, Noria lets murder everybody, has been keeping everyone alive until <laughs> Castle showed up. Castle shows up, three days later everyone's dead. Is that a coincidence? I think not. Okay. We're still in the compound. We're still with Castle, Noria, Kenji, everyone. Kenji's like, we gotta go. We gotta go right now. We're gonna go have a secret mission. We're gonna go save Juliet. Uh, Noria's like, that's not a great idea. He's like, we're doing it anyway. She's like, okay, fine, but like, you can't go now because Warner just got in the shower. And Kenji's like, um, <laughs> uh, excuse, excuse me? She's like, yeah, he just, he just went to get in the shower. And he's like, you mean you're, like, watching him get ready to take a shower? It's not weird, Noria says flatly. Stop making it weird. My wife is gay. Leave her alone. <laughs> What's Warner doing right now, I ask? Is he in the shower yet? Yes. So you're just, like, watching a naked Warner in the shower right now. I'm not looking at his body sam says sounding very close to irritated i'm gay but you could i say stunned that's what's so weird about this you could just watch any of us take extremely naked showers <laughs> and then nori is like you know what i was gonna make things easier on you guys but i changed my mind i've edited the text a bit see if you can figure out what i've added <laughs> in these quotes but it this just I was laughing, first of all, and second of all, it made me think of, did you ever watch the Julian Smith videos, like, ten years ago, when we were in high school? No. My whole family has seen every single one of them. He was, like, he was a comedian, and he, he posted some stuff a while ago. Um, I haven't seen a lot of them in a very long time, so I don't know if he had any problematic shit. I should probably go back and check on that, but, like... I um, love that that's your assumption, is that he was probably problematic, and that's why we don't hear about him anymore. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so he posted, he would, like, do little YouTube videos, and he also had songs, and the one that I probably sing the most in my family's home is the one called I'll Never Get Naked in Your Shower. And it's basically just him going to a friend's house, and he's like, can I use your shower? And the friend's being kind of weird about it, and he starts singing, and he's like... I never get naked in your shower. <laughs> He's like 10 octaves up. I promise I'll always wear my clothes. <laughs> I sometimes get naked in my shower behind closed doors. <laughs> but I'll never get naked in yours. <laughs> and there's like, there's like verses. What is going like on? Videos of him in his clothes in his friend's shower, <laughs> just like lathering soap all over himself. And that video lives in my brain rent free. Thank you for uh, giving me this experience. You're welcome. Plot point. Noria mm -hmm. tells them, you have to be willing to kill Juliet if you're going on this mission. They say, what? She says, why do you think we've been saving Ella? And they say, or <laughs> she calls her Ella. Why do you think we've been saving Ella slash Juliet? And they were like, I don't care because you're a good person and she's our friend. And she was like, you naive babies. Because we realized months ago that Ella was the only one strong enough to kill her own sister. We need her just as much as you do. Not just us, but the whole world. Ella is a fucking whore crux. She is a whore crux. Yes. They are like, we have been raising yes. her and keeping her, and the only reason we haven't killed her yet is because we need to wait until the peace of Emmeline is in her so we can stab her to death. Like, yep. Harry Potter who? <laughs> Jesus. Yep. Icon what? <laughs> but they go off anyway to go and fight Voldemort, who is Emmeline, who is secretly good. I don't really know who... Voldemort is in this analogy, actually. Like, I feel like it should be Anderson, but I guess they well, keep the killing Anderson. Voldemort is the reestablishment. You're right. Oh, yes, it is Anderson. You're right. It is, because they keep killing him and he keeps coming back to life. Okay, great. He's, like, running out of life. Yeah. Yes. 
jump to Juliet's perspective and her and Anderson, basically at this point in time, all we're really seeing is her and Anderson bonding and having weird sexual chemistry that nobody asked for. They keep dropping all of these context clues to Juliet that she is not the same person that she used to be. Like, he keeps saying, I used to hate you. Like, you have no idea how much I hated you. How much I still hate you sometimes, but now finally, he sits up, looks me in the eye. Now you're perfect. He laughs, but there's no heart in it. Now you're absolutely perfect, and I just have to give you away. Toss your body to science. He turns toward a wall. What a shame. You know, when I was very young, I wanted to be a baker. <laughs> That's the next line. <laughs> we start talking, like, he's like, fucking hated you. I wanted you dead. Now I'm going to give your body to science. You know, when I was young. And and that the follow his follow-up to that was, my mother used to pour bleach down my throat. <laughs> I don't have notes for, like, the next... 70 pages but essentially what happens Same. in this time is warner kenji and um nazira decide that they're going to fly to oceania and save juliet so they fly they get in they stealthily work around the reestablishments technology shit that's in place they like sneak around the cameras whatever they finally find juliet and her and Warner start fighting because, again, remember, Juliet is, like, not herself. She doesn't remember her, her past life. Warner is just deflecting her her hits and stuff like that, basically just trying to... He, he's not trying to hurt her. He's just on the defensive. She starts running away from him when she realizes that she can't win. Warner catches up to her. They have sex. I love... I love how we subverted the trope of person who's mind-controlled seeing the person they love and being ordered to kill them and being like, no, I can't, I recognize them, and they come back to themselves by Warner literally showing up, doing a strip tease in the corner and being like, Juliet, do you recognize me now? <laughs> what about now? <laughs> and as he, as he like, takes off his shirt, she's like, mm, keep going. <laughs> Not sure I'm having a memory. Maybe you should, like, take your pants off. <laughs> Warner is Warner is uh, prepped and ready to go. He's naked. Um, and then we have <laughs> fucking Juliet that's having an identity crisis and my mind is separating from itself trying to identify the poison, this parasite residing inside of me. I have to kill it. I scream, forcing my own energy inward, screaming until the explosive energy building inside me ruptures my eardrums. I scream until I feel the blood drip from my ears and down my neck. I scream until the lights of the laboratory begin to pop and break. I scream until my teeth bleed until the floor fishes fissures beneath my feet until my skin and my knees begins to crack i scream until the monster inside of me dies what's going on here but anyway she remembers so like long story short that's like where we ended up she's like i can't explode anderson when i'm captive and he's stabbing me with a scalpel but i can sure as hell explode myself <laughs> also that's just a lot of blood Every time something happens, there has to be blood leaking from some poor or orifice. And I'm like, yes. y'all be dead right now. There's no way this is sustainable. From there, we jump back to Kenji's scene. Kenji and Nazira and friends make it out. And as they are leaving the continent... They see that the entire continent goes up with flames. Warner and Juliet go with it. The end. And I'm just kind of like, I'm so fucking done with all of these cop-out scenes. Like, you can't just, you can't just say, yep, that sucks. Like, the whole thing went up in flames. Somehow Juliet and Warner are going to end up alive on the other side and, like, that's it. I would because have taken that as an ending, back. is that they, like, burned, they burned down the compound and all of Oceania, like, with themselves on it, and they died. I would have taken that, and I would have been okay with that ending. Instead, the only explanation that we get once we go back to Juliet's perspective is they basically, her and Warner find Emmeline in her little tank as a little webbed being, and her father, Max, comes in, and obviously we need to kill him, so somehow Emmeline breaks out of her, like, aquatic prison, murders Max, and then Emmeline 
pulls her webbed hands free of the broken glass and presses her fingers to her father's head. She kills him with nothing more than the force of her own mind, the mind he (laughs) gave her. When she is done, his skull has split open. Blood leaks from his dead eyes. His teeth have fallen out of his face and onto his shirt. His intestines (laughs) spill out from a severe rupture in his torso. Algorithms. And then after that, and then after that, uh, Juliet holds Emmeline and... Emmeline dies in her arms. And then you flip the next page. And it's the fucking epilogue. And I was like, the fuck do you mean it's the epilogue? (laughs) This is my favorite, favorite, favorite part of the entire book. Favorite. I loved it. We go from, like, his teeth are falling out. They're on his shirt. He's been gutted. There's blood everywhere. Everything's gone up in fire and everyone's dead epilogue from warner's point of view (laughs) the wall is unusually white more white than usual most people think white walls are true white but the truth is they only seem white and are not actually white most shades of white are mixed in with a bit of yellow which (laughs) which helps soften the hard edges of a pure white making it more an accru or ivory Various shades of cream, egg white even. True white is practically intolerable as a color, so white, it's nearly blue. This wall in particular is not so white as to be offensive. But a sharp enough shade of white to pique my curiosity, which is nothing short of a miracle, really, because I've been staring at it for the greater part of an hour. Murder, murder, murder. Interior design. Warner's like... There was a bunch of death, but I have some opinions on interior design, and you are going to sit here and read about them. Basically, the book just ends with, it's Warner and Juliet's wedding day. That's how the book Mm -hmm. ends. There are no questions that are answered. The whole original point of the series of let's overthrow the government and create a new one is completely thrown out the window. We have no idea what happens. Is Juliet Supreme Commander again? Who knows? The only context for Adam that we get throughout the whole book is that he, um, in a desperate attempt to try and save James, uh, basically becomes an ally with the reestablishment, just like hoping that it'll give James amnesty. But then you don't see, you see him literally once in this entire no, book no, and he's no. thrown in as an afterthought that was the thing as well that bugged me is adam's power recall is to turn off other people's powers that's why he could be with juliet so they're like adam sacrificed himself to the reestablishment, and everyone's like oh fuck like they know how to harvest powers now that's why they were trying to get the twins healing powers think what they could do if they could get adam's power and turn off all of our powers like how would we ever fight them and then at one point, Anderson literally says, I have transferred Adam's powers into my own body and I can turn people's powers off. Does this go anywhere? Nope. And furthermore, they like, Max makes a huge deal about when Anderson transfers the power into his body because he is like, we have, like, this This could be catastrophic that you just did this. Like, peop- we can't how does he put it he basically is like it's super dangerous to have two competing powers in your body and you kind of think that this is going to blow up in anderson's face and like maybe this is the thing that's going to kill him at least that was the impression i was getting and then literally nothing happens with it and also we still don't even know that anderson died because this man literally has like crawled up (laughs) from the grave so many times he probably is still alive we don't even we don't even get his death scene (laughs) headcanon he's still alive and there's a an assassination attempt at the wedding i'm so upset anyways uh my favorite quote from kenji during this wedding is noria up to the security there should be a team of people waiting for us and she's like oh why and he's like people literally throw their newborn babies at you plus i've already counted six people who've peed their pants in your presence which i have to add is not only upsetting but unsanitary especially when they try to hug you while they're still wetting themselves And I was like, what? Why the fuck? What the fuck? The ending scene is Warner saying, you know what? There's been a lot of murder. There's been a lot of gore. There's been a lot of patricide. But in this day, I held a dog and I was happy. But you know, you know what? You know what this means, everyone? Rapid fire is back, baby. (laughs) 
Page 9. But the truth is, I am a punctured tire. Every injection of air leaves me both fuller and flatter. Page 13. Slowly, my heart rate steadies. The tears dry up. The fears take five. Terror is distracted by a passing butterfly, and sadness takes a nap. Heat fills my vision. I hear nothing but static, grand rapids, white water, ferocious wind, feel nothing, think nothing, am nothing. I am, for the most infinitesimal moment, free. My eyelids flutter, open, closed, open, closed, open, closed. I am a wing, two wings, a swinging door, five birds. Fire <laughs> climbs inside of me, explodes. <laughs> But most days, I am an idea and nothing more. I am foam and smoke moonlighting a skin. Dandelions gather in my ribcage, moss growing steadily along my spine. Rainwater floods my eyes, pools in my open mouth, dribbles down the hinges holding together my lips. He's holding me like I'm made of feathers, like I'm a bird, white with streaks of gold like a crown atop its head. I will fly. And I just, I just got this idea in my head that for years and years and decades to come, Juliet, just at random moments, like, they'll be sitting there and they're just, like, cuddling on the couch. And all of a sudden, Juliet's like, I am a bird. I will fly. <laughs> and just gets up and starts, like, running around the room. And Warner's like, okay, dear, it's time to calm down now. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I'm surprised that throughout this series, Juliet didn't at some point, uh, like, force warner to get a bird tattoo like adam had because we know how much she loved the bird tattoo <laughs> she found it very erotic um she was literally only with adam for his bird tattoo <laughs> not inaccurate that is that is canon and then finally hey nazira says to kinji her voice suddenly close i have a feeling i'm about four months away from falling madly in love with you so please don't get yourself killed okay She's like, I'm, checks watch, approximately four months away from actually not trying to murder you anymore. So just hang in there, okay? Hang in there, mate. And that's about the, that's about all the emotional depth, depth we get of their relationship. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, this feels like <sighs> the end of an era, you know? Yeah, a welcome era to end, I, I would say. I loved it. I, this is one of the first books that we did. I, final thoughts, like, rolling into my final thoughts, I'm very fond of this series. <laughs> the language, I feel like, I feel like the Tahara Mafi language reference is one of the most common references that we make. <laughs> Anytime oh, anything yeah. happens, like, I will say, her style is very distinct, and I appreciate that from her. I had so <laughs> much fun with this series. <laughs> I had so much fun. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you to Aramafi. My final thoughts are this is hands down the worst finale I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> However, it is my favorite book of this series because I hysterically laughed so many times while I was reading it. Since we didn't do it in our final post of 2020 it's january people have had time to ruminate on their books what was their favorite book of 2020 i want to know the best book that you read this year and i also want to know the worst book that i'm sorry yes let me rephrase yes that. i want to know the best and worst books that you read in 2020 refer to our social media for mine and savannah's answers mm -hmm. on the best and the worst book that we read in 2020 yes and keep in mind worst book can be worst or it can just be that book that you really hate to love Book recommendation for this week is a book that I, a little bit partly I'm cheating because I will be posting this as my favorite book of 2020. <laughs> I was, I was not expecting this to be my favorite book of 2020. It's a, a memoir, which isn't really my genre. I've enjoyed them before, but I haven't found any where I'm like, yeah, this really hits me and grips me. So I'm going to read the summary because we all know I suck at summaries. It's in the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Carmen Maria Machado's prismatic revolutionary memoir is an electrifying account of a relationship gone bad and a bold and a bold dissection of the mechanisms and cultural representations of psychological abuse. Each chapter is driven by its own narrative trope, the haunted house, erotica, the Bildungsroman, through which Machado holds her story up to the light while also casting a critical eye over legal proceedings, fairy tales, iconic works of film and fiction, and a broad swath of queer history. In the Dream House explores our ideas about what a memoir can do and be. Um, so obviously trigger warning for 
emotional abuse, um, domestic abuse. But I have never, ever, ever read a book that focuses on queer domestic abuse, especially between two women before. Um, it's And I think she tackles it with such perfect grace and detail that and she includes a lot of her own research and just the fact that there isn't comprehensive research on the subject but the way it, and it's it's almost told in a series of essays you could call it but it is a chronological story so there's a few quotes at the beginning and the dedication just says if you need this book it is for you and i have never had a book like this where i opened it and from the first page i was like this is going to be one of my favorite books of all time. Obviously a little bit heavier, a little bit darker. Right. Keep stay safe and don't don't read it if that's something that's going to be triggering for you, but if it's something that might be cathartic or that you would like to learn more about. Wow. Yeah, I've heard um just like on BookTube and on Goodreads, I've seen such amazing reviews of that book and I've had it on my radar for like a couple of months. And I feel like sometimes it's hard to find good, entertaining nonfiction books that really resonate. It is. You. It's really you know hard. I mean? I've had two of them this year, and I've read a lot more. Um, but the two that I have found have been super impactful. I will just say, yeah. I, I don't want to say, like, happy ending is the wrong word for this for many obvious reasons. But right. there is at the end like a hopeful ending, there's a maybe. hopeful ending and there's something that she calls a plot twist that is just the best thing that i ever read that made me very happy so i yeah hmm. yeah 12 out of 10 would recommend for my non-book recommendation it's kind of a tahara mafi style cop-out because it's actually just an audiobook which i did this exact thing last week but you know what sue me it's my podcast um <laughs> so for my Drive down to Utah, I listened to The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune, um, and that was one of the best audiobooks I've ever encountered. And granted, I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks, so, like, that's not really saying much, but it was incredible. Um, on my way home from Utah, I listened to The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix, and this was just such a fun book to listen to and like I really never would have thought that I would pick it up even though I am like like vampire novels or like something that I it's like a guilty pleasure for me but the description of it is fried green tomatoes and steel magnolias meet Dracula and the southern flavored supernatural thriller set in the 90s about a woman's book club that must protect its suburban community from a mysterious and handsome stranger who turns out to be a blood-sucking friend. Patricia Campbell has always planned for a big life, but after giving up her career as a nurse to marry an ambitious doctor and become a mother, Patricia's life has never felt smaller. The days are long, her kids are ungrateful, her husband is distant, and her to-do list is never really done. The one thing she has to look forward to is her book club, a group of Charleston mothers united only by their love for true crime and, su and, suspenseful, and suspenseful fiction. In these meetings, they're more likely to discuss the S FBI's recent siege of Waco as much as the ups and downs of marriage and motherhood. But when an artistic and sensitive stranger moves into the neighborhood, the book club's meeting turns into a speculation about the newcomer. Patricia is initially attracted to him, but when some local children go missing, she starts to suspect the newcomer is involved. She begins her own investigation, assuming that he's a Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy. When she uncover What she uncovers is far more terrifying, and soon she and her book club are the only people standing between between the monster they've invited into their homes and their unsuspecting community. For me, I don't read pretty much any horror, but there was a couple of mo like there were some horror-esque moments. So in the vein of Tahara Mafi and how she's decided to turn this finale book into a horror novel, I feel like this was another good like segue into the genre. And in the author's note at the beginning of the book, the author mentions that he wrote the book with his mother in mind. So, like, basically he wanted it to be, like, if her mother encountered Dracula. And it just was such a fun... <laughs> I don't know. It was just such a fun idea. Um, I really enjoyed the story. Yeah. I I would definitely recommend it. I love that. Something different. I, I think I might go read it now. I've heard uh, stirrings about it on, like, on BookTube and... Uh, goodreads and and places review places like that and i've heard generally decent things but you telling me that you enjoyed it i will i will add it to my list officially 
reminder to everyone that we're reading my least favorite book in the history of the entire world. This whole ending section is absolute. It's like, here's my favorite recommendation from 2020. Here is the literal worst hell book I have ever. <laughs> Anybody who knows me, like if I was a if I was a character that had a quirky trait in a YA novel, my quirky trait would be hating the notebook. I mm-hmm. I've never hated anything. I don't want to say that. There's a lot of other things I hate more than the notebook, but I don't but hate any books the, more than you're that. You're the quirky you're the quirky gay that hates the notebook. I hate it so much. And maybe it's just the movie. <laughs> like, I, I read the, I skimmed the book a long time ago. I don't think I ever finished it. Maybe it's just the movie, but we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, follow us on social media. You can send us an email at worstthingweread at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at worst, T-H-N-G, we read. Follow us on Instagram at worstthingweread. Um, and follow us on Goodreads. Our ads are down below. Um, yeah, and I guess with that, um, we'll see you next week. Not with our eyes. But, but with our with mouths. Our mouth. <laughs>